Why sober is dope? Why not? Why not? Why not be great? Why not set an example? You sober curious? Come on board. If you struggling, don't be afraid. Fear's not an option. We want transformation. We want people to live. If you sober-minded, then you're clear-headed. You're closer to the source. You're closer to the all. You're closer to a higher vibration. Why sober is dope? Because sobriety is life. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no depression. There's no running from your problems. It's facing your fears. Facing everything. No doubt. No going backwards. It's upward mobility. We moving forward. Let's time the man up. Okay, it's time to man up. Why sober is dope? Because sobriety is. It's the original panacea. You want to be healthy? You want to become a millionaire? You want to live your best life? And sometimes we have to make sacrifices. Everyone could talk a good game, but not many of us is willing to make a sacrifice. If you're struggling out there, don't be afraid. If you if you drugged out, there's hope. If you can't put that bottle down for some reason, it's hope. Why sober is dope? Because it is. It's life. And we promote life. We promote transformation and new beginnings. Yeah, let's get it. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast with your host, Pop Buchanan. How is everyone doing today out there in the sober community and the human community in life? I want you all to know that I love you daily, no matter where you at, no matter what your race, color, creed, denomination, religion, background. I love you all. We're all humans. We're one race and we're all here to heal and transform. And with that being said, I just want to talk about Sober's Dope real quick before I go get into our very exciting podcast today. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I started doing this podcast is... One, is like a catharsis for me, a big release, because I felt like a big part of my healing is telling my story. And for a long time, I didn't really tell my story. It was like very fragmented. I remember meeting with one of my friends one time from London, and he said, you know, I could tell you went through something online, but it wasn't really clear, but you look good and, you know, you've always been a good guy. And then I started saying to myself, well, you know, I can't keep this thing together. I can't keep it in. I don't want to front like I'm not flawed and I don't have I didn't make some mistakes. And I'm really proud of myself. I'm proud of myself from every part of my life. Even when I was in, in my addiction, I was always giving. I took care of a lot of people. I loved a lot of people. I was I brought joy to a lot of people. I danced in the rain with the homeless people. I drank. I did. I was a real different person and for that season of my life you know I try to do some good there so 
Um, and why I proclaim sobriety as being really cool and dope is because sobriety is is transformational and being in recovery is transformational and it's healing and it allowed it it, get, it just gave me my life back and I'm just you know and when I see addiction up close now from a sober perspective and a perspective of healing and being whole it really is shocking and saddens me, man. And when I see someone really going through it, you know, I was, you know, I'm at, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at work right now, and um, and thus being on a podcast with you guys. And when I was coming to the studio to really sit down and kick it and get some other work done today, I was driving in and I saw a guy sitting in an Indian position outside of a corner store. And the first thing, uh, or what you guys may know is a bodega or your local convenience store or grocery. And, you know, he's sitting on the street. It's nighttime, sitting on the sidewalk in an Indian position with a cup next to him. And the first thing I said to myself was, um, I wonder what that guy's story is, you know. Um, And I wonder what brought him to the point to where he's sitting in the middle of the street on the floor, and 90% of the time in those cases is some form of mental illness of or addiction or drugs or alcohol, honestly. Drug tends to rob you. It's very insidious. It'll, hit, it'll give you a really big burst of joy and energy, but then it's followed by a quick surge of depression, and then it takes everything away from you. So I know it's very important once someone finds their sobriety that they have the right tools to be to transform and to continue to grow because there's a lot of people who struggle in their recovery you know me luckily I did so much spiritual work and I went down such a dark rabbit hole with my addiction that I'm at a point now of absolute transformation like I don't have an urge to drink and I'm not struggling in my recovery I am whole and happy in my recovery. I mean, there's days where I say a drink could be could be nice because I'm human. And you see people partying and stuff and you kind of remember. But that's just like when um that that that's just like another lie. It's a it's another f- falsehood that the mind or could, could play like sometimes the mind plays tricks on us or sometimes the devil tell lies and every time I hear that I say get behind me Satan just like when um Satan told Jesus oh you don't have to do the crucifixion thing you don't have to die you know I can give you the whole world you know just 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 give up the throne right now denounce everything and come with me I'll give you anything you want and, and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know, I, I shall not be tempted. And temptation is one of the things that we have to watch. So as far as me, when I think about alcohol, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to be tempted by that. Because it's a lie. You know, it promises you some healing and some emotional recovery and some health and happiness. And, you know, it's a form of suppression. So I'm just letting you guys know if you're new to the Sober's Dope podcast, my name is Pop Buchanan. I'm six and a half years sober. Um, I, I'm a musician, a businessman, a poet, 
a humanitarian, a sober activist, a health enthusiast. Um, I, I'm a child of God. Um, I, I'm into spirituality, meditation. I'm into transformation. I'm into living a really good life. And I'm into love and trying to help level up humanity because we're all in this together. And I believe service and a life of service is the most rewarding aspect of life beyond money and success but I also believe in abundance and I also believe we all deserve abundance and all of the good things in life but I feel like and I understand through my life because I can't I had I, I had abundance once and lost it and then I you know I had it again and lost it and you know so life could give and take and when I was up I wasn't necessarily happy. I was still drinking. I, you know, I, I had a lot. I had my abundance while I was drinking and I was struggling with addiction. I had a lot of money. And I, that's one of the things that I realized the money didn't make me happy. It didn't cure. It didn't solve any problems. Right. So I believe that you have to do the spiritual work first. I believe that you have to take the time to heal and address the, the, the wounds, whether they're physical, psychological, emotional, um, I think you have to take that time and I think um, you have to find your inner happiness and your inner sanctuary and your inner form of peace before you can enjoy outer form of peace. So we have to do the inner work. The Sober is Dope podcast is designed to highlight the benefits of sobriety and we do a lot of work. Okay, on this podcast, I'm gonna give you a lot of tools. I'm gonna introduce motivational speakers to you. Some you may have heard before, but for me, I've been dipped. Anyone that I bring on this podcast, and I have some people that's gonna, I'm gonna bring to you guys. That's mind blowing. That you can't even pay for. You can't even pay to see these people is exclusive. Like, you know. Um, but some of the people that I'm a, I bring to you and you heard on the podcast before, I've been listening to these guys over the last six, seven years. And they're part of my transformational process. Like Eric Thomas, Les Brown, you know, I wish I could get Tim Ferriss on the podcast. I, I admire Tim Ferriss. But people like Tim Ferriss and um, Will Smith, Les Brown, um, Tony Robbins, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Denzel Washington, uh, you, it, the list goes on, man. You know, Robin Williams, man, he rest in peace. There's so many different people. There's so many different brothers and sisters that's out there. Kendrick Lamar, the rapper. Kendrick Lamar um, it blew my mind when he spoke about sobriety. And it really brought me to the point to realize there's really special people on this planet that really make a lot of sacrifices. What Kendrick Lamar said in regards to sobriety was... Um, and this absolutely blew my mind. He said, you know, I'm not into drugs and alcohol and, you know, talking about, you know, exploiting women and monies and cars because a large amount of the people that listen to me can't relate to that. And I can't help them that way. And it blew my mind that someone with all that influence would just say, I'm not going to do I'm not going to drink and drug and chase women and do all of these things and then boast about my money because, there's people out there that really look up to me that could you could that's that I influence that can't relate with that. It's not part of their reality. So you have good people out there on the planet Earth doing work and we're trying to create balance. And a lot of the times when we're dealing with addiction 
and we're suffering from some sadness or some form of depression and anxiety and stuff, we tend to forget that there's balance in the world. It's not all dark. Sometimes your life could seem like it's falling apart, but there's balance. You have angels out there, then you have people that's dark out there. I like to call it you have destructive human beings who want to destroy and destroy, be destructive and hurt people because they're hurt. And then you have human beings that's creative. They like to create and bring joy and love. I think that's the balance. I think sometimes good and evil is too cookie cutter. It's not clear enough. It doesn't just describe too much um so ladies and gentlemen my name yes my name is pop buchanan i'm a college graduate um you know um so before i got really into before i fell to addiction and really got dark i I graduated with two college degrees and then i went into the business world i did really well with real estate then around to the early 2000s when the real estate market crashed and the bubble burst um you know it was hard to make a lot of money so i went from having a really cool lifestyle out of college to kind of just like hitting kind of a wall and then uh, i had a lot of success at a real fast pace then a lot of people at that time i had i, had, I know people who were jumping off of buildings and killing themselves well i don't personally know but you i'm sorry let me correct that you i heard of people jumping off of buildings killing themselves because you know when AIG and a lot of these companies went down a lot of people couldn't deal from going from hero to zero overnight and I didn't necessarily do that but that's kind of what led to me feeling kind of like I was a loser because I had this good thing going and then as soon as I lost the ability to make money the way I was used to making it you know I felt like people around me kind of started looking at me funny because humans are funny when you up you're up when you're down you're down they're only going to root for you based on your glass win you know what I'm saying Um, I realized that with Golden State this year Right when everyone thought that Toronto could win, people who love Golden State just started just doing them dirty. Just really wanted to see these champions lose. For some reason, it was more important for people to see the underdog win, but they totally forgot that the these guys, you know, they just didn't care. Golden State became totally irrelevant as soon as they lost. It was all about Kawhi. And that's the analogy for humanity. It's like, yo, you're only as good as your last bounce, right? So it's a very competitive environment we live in. But... That brings, I say all of that to say this, you can't put your identity in external things. You can't put your identity into your money or your success and stuff like that. I know people who run, ran Fortune 500 companies that turned to janitors, man. Turned to regular lay people, you know what I'm saying? I know guys who was at the top of the world that just now just serve a greater good. They don't, they walk around, they don't flash anything they don't try to aspire to do anything i know people walk away as with top paying top tier jobs at law firms um and just gave it up because there was no passion there for them and they wasn't spiritually fulfilled there so you can't put your identity into things all right so this episode i just wanted to kind of like give you guys a better understanding of me um i lost my father when i was 14 years no no 12, 12, 12 and a half, 12, 13. I was, I lost my dad right after my 12th birthday. So I just turned 13, I think. Yeah, I just turned 13. Yep. And, um, cause my dad died October, um, six. I'm sorry guys. A while ago, October, uh, six to 1992. So yeah, um, 
and my birthday was September 29th. So imagine that. And my little sister's birthday was October 4th. So the week after my birthday, my dad died. And two days after my little sister's birthday, he passed away. And some part of me think he held on for her birthday. That was cool for my little sister, uh, my, 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 my little baby sister. She's not a baby. She's like my little big sister now. Both my sisters are like my big sisters. They're so dope. I'm so happy to have them. They're very supportive on my journey. But, um... Yeah, I lost my pops, and then I, my beautiful mom raised us, and she she did her thing. My mom worked, she went to school, she did it all. She made sure we needed for nothing. When I couldn't get, when I couldn't afford to go to Catholic high school, because I went to Bishop Lachlan High School, my mom like went down to the school. She talked to the um the brother there. May he rest in peace, brother James Benilla, and brother James sat with my mom. And, you know, my mom being Catholic, you know, he asked, he said, do you smoke? She said, yeah, back then, you know, you could smoke in the offices at the schools and stuff. So they smoke and they talk for hours. And my mom told Brother James her story, you know, how she became a Catholic, how hard she worked and everything. And my older brother was in a seminary at the time. Um, and my mom was like, you know, when she left, she came to me, she said, hey, I got good news for you. I found a way to keep you in school. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, cool, I don't have to leave school because I, I like my school. But I went to Bishop Lachlan. I had the best girls. We was the flyest kids. Like Bishop Lachlan is known. We all had the fresh clothes. We was fly. It was a very good education. Shout out to my Bishop Lachlan crew. I remember my freshman year. I was like, yeah, this high school thing is dope. And um, and I didn't want to leave school, you know. And my mom went hard. And then, and then I got into something called a student sponsor partnership where I met my mentor. Now, I'm not going to mention his name here and stuff because he's totally anonymous and I want to respect his um, privacy. But I met a really angelic mentor and he came into my life and our life and then that was very positive. And then from there I went to college. I did a lot of great things in college. I was doing music. I was I was a full-time musician in college. And with me and Shay and all our guys over there, and at the same time we was doing that, my my um, my family was doing music out here in New York. So we was doing, we was known as the kids who do music. Um, at this point, my other brother is now a priest, um, and we're doing music and stuff, and life is good. And then from there. Um, I dropped out my first year. My first year of college was a total blur. It was like all of that good stuff just went out the window because we 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 all went to Farmingdale, Long Island. I went to the State University of Farmingdale. So you had kids from Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Bronx, Long Island, New Jersey, all coming together, Connecticut. We all coming together on these four dormitories in the middle of Long Island and it was boys and girls and it was like crazy it was like the most beautiful experience college was so cool I had such a blast because I was just like the straight-laced kid that just went straight into like this pandemonium of fun and just college and craziness and 
Long story short, I never went to class. But first time I went to class, the professor was like, who are you? And I was like, hey, my name is Jay Buchanan. And he was like, yeah, you're not in my class no more. Get out of my class. And I was like, that's the first time I thought I, I realized that the world is serious. I'm like, you just can't do what you want. And I always was very smart and thought I could get away with stuff. So I thought I could just blow through the first two weeks and then just walk in class and ace everything. I was smart. I ain't really hack like whatever. I could, I'll learn anything real fast. So I got kicked out of my first year with a 0.67 GPA. All right. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm not in school. So I had to go back to New Brooklyn. And now, you know, so I'm home. And in the daytime, my mom was like, you can't just sit here all day. You're going to have to figure out something. And I was a very good looking young guy, you know. So my mom took me to the window and said, look out there, look, and this is crazy. I remember all of this very vividly. This is, must be 1996 now. My mom was like, look out the window. You see all of those people and all of those windows, because, you know, we lived on the sixth floor of our building, and she see, she's like, look outside. You see that? You see the airplanes? You see all of that? Just look as far as you can see. She's like, there's millions of people out there that's going to, they're going to need you. And you was put here to help and you was put there to do great things. So I want you to get dressed and go out there and don't come back until you do something great. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. My first week off of school and my mom sends me on an ultimate mission straight up in the wilderness. She's like, here's $10. That's enough for you to get some lunch because back then, uh, you know, and, and they take the train. She said, I want you to go to Manhattan. You're beautiful. Go find something to do. Come back and do something great. So my mom gave me a, 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 alligator, a red alligator briefcase because my family's fly. We always have fly stuff. She let me borrow one of her Sherlin coats. Like my mom had this beautiful Sherlin coat and I had like these slacks on and my hair was cool. And I literally just had the yellow pages and I was just going to different companies. I went to a few modeling agencies, a few record companies, and I just walked in. I was like, yeah, my name is um, Jay Buchanan, and I'm just here. I just, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm just out of school. I want to do something. So I walked into a few of these companies. Um, I already had some comp cards and stuff because I was slight, I was interested in modeling, but I never really had a modeling gig. So I was passing out some comp cards, Anyway, I spent the whole day just going from modeling agency to recording studios. And then I get home. And then when I get home, my mom was like, so what did you do today? I said, I ran around Soho and Manhattan and NoHo and to Washington Square. And I just met a lot of cool people. And she said, I feel good about it. Long story short, I get a phone call the next day to come in to do an audition. So now this is really cool. So I go in to do an audition, and one of the agents there is like, look, we want to take some updated pictures of you. Just We're going to take some pictures, blah, blah, blah. And then this artist named Enoj, I don't know if you ever heard of Enoj, I-N-O-J, she goes, they say she wants to meet you and another guy for her new music video, right? We have a new video from So So Deaf Columbia and she's looking for a male modeling interest, the male interest in this video. So we want you to come. Now, meanwhile, guys, I'm 5'11". 
I didn't go to the audition fancy. When I got the phone call, I was already like out and about. You know, I just was like, okay, I had a white t-shirt on. It was nothing fancy. So I walk in. When I get there, there's this six foot five model sitting there. This guy must have looked like a statue. He looked perfect. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to get this thing. I got to compete with this guy. But I was very handsome. I'm fly. I'm a real model. You know, I look like one of, you know, a lot of people. I was a good looking guy. You go online and when we done and see the video. But anyway, so um, I auditioned. I talked to her and stuff. And when I leave, her manager goes, you have to be here at six o'clock in the morning tomorrow to be on set. She she picked you. So my first week out of college, I was a professional model in my first music video. And that video is time after time from Eno J from So So Deaf Columbia. And I'm the guy that's on the bike and on the watchtower in Manhattan. Um, at the time, you know, I had a bald head. I was riding on a bike. You know, I'll put the link in the show notes. So that was cool. From there, I did a, a, a couple of more modeling shoots and stuff. And then that was how I spent that semester. My first one semester out of college, I just modeled the whole semester, and then I had a deal where I could have been a professional model at the time, and they asked me either, do you want to do that, or do you want to go back to school, and I made a decision to go back to college, because I was like, education is really important for me, and I'm like, I'd rather get an education, so I went back to Long Island, I had to go to BMCC College, I had to get a take two courses. Well, I took a course in black history and English. I aced both both those courses. And when I went back to school that following semester, I totally devoted myself to my education, my music. And although I was a wild man on campus, I really busted out. So I wound up getting my associate's degree. And from there, I got my bachelor's degree and I graduated and the rest was history. And out of graduation, I got into real estate. First, I was an insurance adjuster for Geico. Then I did that. Then I did some accounting stuff. I had a, you know, I did all of the stuff. But my, I started getting into real estate investments, and I made a lot of money. Blah, blah, blah. Somewhere down the line, though, with all of this, you know, drinking was always kind of the thing. You know, coming, being in college, being in music. You tend to drink. It's a natural thing. It's innocent. Everyone was drinking. Every single person I know was either smoking weed or drinking. My generation never was into the cocaine and the pills and all of that. You know what I'm saying? The most you was going to get out of us was marijuana or some hard liquor. That's it. That's where we come from. I ain't know anyone doing hard drugs at all. On campus, we never saw coke, nothing like that. You know, and that was back in the 90s and the early 2000s. It was slow motion like that, you know. Um, and then um, from there, so so that brings me all to say that drinking was always a constant. But the thing was, I always had these episodes where things would be normal, but then there'll be a big explosion. Like I would have like, I'll get into a fight or I'll wake up and have stitches or, you know, I remember, you know, it was always these big emotional outbursts where I was a very passionate kid. I was a very young, passionate young man. And I had a lot of beliefs and I had a lot of feelings. I love people. If I saw somebody taking advantage of someone else, I'd get very angry. I was always trying to help people. And my passions made me very animated and I was always getting into stuff. Um, so I had all these up and downs. So at this point, there was never a dialogue dialogue anywhere where, you know, you need to watch your drinking or anything like that. Long story short, ladies and gentlemen, I was a good guy, went through all of this. 
And then later in life, after all of this, after, you know, I got the, I got the, my first building in Fort Greene, I had a couple of buildings, I had a building in Clinton Hill and a building in Fort Greene that I was managing and that I lived in and that I had and I bought in with and I had, I was part of my real estate partners. We all had a bunch of properties. We had over 12 to 13 brownstones throughout Brooklyn. I was like 25 years old and we had a lot of this going on and this was all family and stuff like that so I was doing very well you know we had a lot of money coming in I had a lot of money I was very successful I didn't have to worry about anything but like I said when the real estate market crashed things went south then my relationship at the time got murky and then a lot of things started closing in on me I think I just grew up very fast right out of college I had all this money all these things going on then the drinking was still in the background and the drinking was interfering with my relationship the drinking was interfering with my life and my clarity points still no one's having a conversation about maybe you might be an alcoholic maybe you have an allergy maybe you should go to aa i remember one of my mentors mentioning aa but it was so taboo at the time right and so maybe i was sober curious because when i would not drink i felt so good i was very spiritual i would meditate i'll pray i was always into my spirituality that's my thing if you know me i'm just a spiritual kid i was just i was a spiritual kid that was fun that that, that you that knew a lot of information that you would want to hang with because i was popular and fun right but the fun was masked with the drinking and the thing was i didn't realize i had a drinking problem until it was too thick and by the time it got crazy it totally took over because i got into this rhythm of depression that's why i say when drinking mixes with depression or drugs and depression and then you suppress it it could turn a good person out really quick so i'm saying all this to say the reason why I'm doing this podcast and telling my story is there's people out there right now that may be lurking or venturing into these murky waters of addiction and not even know it yet. They may be sober curious and not know that how to get help or that they could get help. Or they may be afraid or they may not understand the language of recovery and getting help. And I was young. I'm talking about I'm in my early 20s. I'm, 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 I'm 25, 26, 27, a bunch of money with a breakup and all of this stuff and I'm partying, I'm drinking, I'm doing the socialite shit, but I don't know I have an allergy. I don't know that I was born with a specific allergy that when I drink, I can't stop. So for me, it was very casual because it was like, okay, every time you go out with Pop, he gonna want to order a beer or something. And then when you go to his house, he's gonna have some drinks or something. He's always partying. I was a party kid. Um, But then when it took over, it took everything away from me. I lost the house, lost the girl, lost the career, lost everything. And then I hit total rock bottom. And when I hit total rock bottom, I was pretty much homeless. So I went through all of this just to wind up homeless. So what is what I go, but I was homeless for two days. So let's just put that in perspective. But it wasn't just homeless, like I didn't have a place where I could go. It was about a spiritual displacement. It was a, it, it was a whole body, mind and spiritual Void. It was like I was, I, I had nothing that was mine anymore. It was like I could get it back, but I would have to focus. I would have to stop drinking and rebuild my life, and I had nothing. So I went from a kid who was making close to twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars a month in my heyday, 
I had access to 25 to 30 real estate properties. I had money all the time. I was doing all of this stuff. I was helping a lot of people. I was loving a lot of people. I had my brownstone and all of it went to shit. My brownstone burned down. I fell out with my business partners. I lost my girlfriend, but thankfully I got another girlfriend who I'm with today and she's beautiful and I love her. Thank God. Everything happens for a reason. But alcohol brought all of that shit down and it burned and then I burned and crashed, right? Which is totally okay because the moment I realized that I hit that wall, my education, my spirituality, my love for God and everything as you guys know from my Sober's Dope story brought me back to life really fast. I hit a real revelation that I have to re- I have to tap back into God. I have to ask God for a creative miracle and I have to transform. I have to change now. So therefore I had to use the law of acceptance to really accept my reality. It was no time to cry. It was no more time to go woe me. It was no more time to get into the depression and anything like that. That was done. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you that was done. At that moment, I, I was in eminent harm and eminent danger, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and all of that stuff, right? But I'm a good person. Y'all hear my story. I went from just regular kid, Catholic grade school, Catholic junior school, Catholic high school, uh, college, all back to back, beautiful family. My dad died young. My mom put my brother through um, school. He became a priest. My other brother was a very good musician. My little brothers and sisters was in high school. My family, really good family, beautiful people, no issues, right? It's just that I was born with this particular allergy to alcohol, and some of you out there may have it. That's what alcoholism is. Okay, you're not, it's not a stigma taboo. You're not the, you're not evil. You're not crazy. You don't have mental illness. You're not a sad case. It's most likely you drank alcohol at some point in your life and never was supposed to. And then you didn't recognize the signs that you have to stop because you probably physically couldn't. So that's why we have mercy, right? And that's why I'm telling you guys so much about me. So I didn't, I didn't mean to go into this much detail about me, but it's time that you guys know who's the person on the other side, right? I'm Pop Buchanan. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at popbuchanan.net. Um, I'm out there, man. You can listen to my music. You can verify all my story, my identity. You can check the Enoze video from time after time. You can check some of my music videos. Um, I used to be part of a group called Low Cannon. Um, and look, I do music. I do real estate. I'm all around guy, all right? Um, half of my life was devoted just to being a monk. When I was younger, all I did was martial arts, meditate, practice Zen, go to Chinatown. I sat with a lot of masters. I studied jujitsu under Moses Powell, Little John Davis, um, Professor V, which is the a Vietnamese founder of the V Honest system of jujitsu. I studied under them in Brooklyn. Um, I studied Caparella. I, 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 you know, I'm, I just did a lot in my life, man. You know, uh, I'm a really cool lyricist um and despite all of my education despite having a good family despite making a lot of money despite being cool despite being a spiritual kid despite helping hundreds of people i hit a part of my life where the darkness overwhelmed me and i was in the darkness but 
I immediately reached out to the light and God totally delivered me. So that's why I devoted the rest of my life to telling my story and to bringing hope to, to you if you're out there. All right. Because some people might feel like I can't go around telling somebody I need help. I'm a high powered attorney. I'm an Ivy League graduate. And my what's my what? I can't. You know what? I'm, I have I have a reputation to uphold. Right. Or you might be a public personality and you can't tell people that you're struggling or you might just feel like it's going to be too embarrassing that you don't want to come out to anyone. But I'm going to tell you, no matter who you are, where you at in life. If you're struggling with drugs or alcohol, you're struggling with any type of process or behavior addiction, it's okay to seek help and it's okay to vocalize it. And it's definitely okay to share your testimony and tell your story because by doing that, you're going to help another human being. There's a kid out there that's getting ready to go to college now. And maybe you know that kid. Maybe you could say, listen to this guy's podcast because I don't want you to go to college and get turned out by drugs and alcohol. And another reason why I'm telling my story is that I was just dealing with, you know, my generation was just dealing with marijuana and um, alcohol. And the alcohol turned me to a dark place. Regular brandy and rum, man, and like vodka and stuff like that. Now this next generation has to deal with legal marijuana, They have to deal with opiates and drugs. Most of their parents is pushing them to take these, um, what is it? The, the Redolin or not Redolin or whatever, the speed and all of that just to get through college or half of them, you know, you got these kids who's artificially using drugs to hold their attention longer so they could get better grades Right. So, you know, which leads to more mental problems and depression later on and adrenal issues. Then you got hard drugs. Now these kids party. They're like, yeah, I got to do some coke. Then I got to follow it with some uh, PBR and some Jameson. That's light. Then probably a couple of Xanaxes, a few Ambien's. That's light work. For me, I would have been in a coma. So I'm like, yo, look, I'm telling my story because, yo, I had to beat the alcohol. Like Alcohol ain't no joke. But if you compound alcohol with all of these other things, and ladies and gentlemen, look at the monster we have on our hand. So I'm telling my story, so I want you guys to know sobriety is cool. What's the alternative? You don't have to drink or smoke at all to be cool. You don't have to drink or smoke at all to be relevant. It's not going to make you a more interesting husband or wife, right? It's not going to make you more fun, right? It might be a little burst of fun, but you ever notice that when you see a couple or someone drinking real heavy and they're having a good time, give it an hour or two and I guarantee you it ends in a fight. And you tell me if I'm lying, guys. You'll come out and be like, yo, why they fighting? They just was laughing. It was just all good. I remember always partying and it'd be like, we all be so happy. And at the end of the day, someone is choking somebody out. Whether it was two, the girls fighting or the guys fighting, you know, we're young. I had a lot of friends. We all like hung out together. I have a lot of friends and we all hang out together, drink together, party together. But it will always turn to it'll get crazy. So I'm telling you, you don't need drugs or alcohol to have fun. You don't need drugs or alcohol to be relevant. So I just wanted you guys to get to know me a little bit more. This is very important to me because if I look, I'm a public figure. I'm already an artist, so I will have to tell my story unless I'm lying. Most artists lie. So as a musician and an artist and amongst other things, 
I just have to release all my truth to the world because alcohol is definitely not my you're not gonna identify me by my by drinking. I stopped drinking six years ago. That was it. I'm talking about my past and how I was able to transform and not be identified as that. You know, I'm not identified as an addict. I'm not. I mean, I am an addict. I'm a recovering addict. I will always be an addict because that's what I have to. That's that's the reality that I have an allergy to alcohol and I can't drink. And I'm an addict because if I do, I won't be able to stop. <laughs> I'll be addicted. That's it. That's the disease of alcohol. If Pop Buchanan has a beer, he's gonna need. He's gonna not be able to stop. Now. Some people like to trick themselves after they get a couple of years in recovery and say, well, maybe let me just have one. This is you never you, you it never ends well. If you're clinically an alcoholic and you are allergic to alcohol and you have the disease of alcoholism, there's never going to be a case or is never has been a case study where someone that's a clinical alcoholic could have a drink and stop. Never. They have one drink and they can't stop. You know, within three or four days, they're a totally different person. You're like, damn, what's the name? Johnny, they go Johnny drinking again. Or, you you know, they go Susie. She down the block acting a damn fool because alcohol is no joke. It's a chemical that wasn't meant for human consumption. That's extremely toxic. It's a toxin. It's a neurotoxin. It's not good for you. All right. You actually poison your system scientifically when you drink and drugs. Forget about it. There's called drugs for a reason. If something you're drugging yourself, you know, is bad. It's not even no social justification for doing drugs. And sadly, people do it and it messes them up. So if you're out there, I have a lot of my meth heads who are recovering from meth. And I love you guys because you're stronger than I will ever be. Because I could not imagine beating heroin, meth, and crack and all of this stuff. You guys are my heroes, man. When I hear your sober testimonies and you guys telling me, yo, I beat meth, I beat crack, I beat heroin, man. And I'm doing this and that, man. I got 18 years, I got this and that. I got 20 years, I got 6 years, I got 10 years. I'm like, oh my God. So miracles are happening every day, all right? So ladies and gentlemen, that's... I want this episode is hey this is just an episode I guess where you got you know it should be called more more about Pop Buchanan or just get to know me more but I don't know when I'm gonna coin this episode because I didn't start this episode with the intent of going in this direction this is totally random I just somehow wanted to give you guys a different aspect of my story because too much of the sober stories seem like it's like this person that comes from this dark place and they went through this dark thing and they would and then humans feel other people feel like they can't identify with the story like oh i'm good i ain't have to go through all that crazy shit and i'm like well my story is just a straight lace american dream regular kid you know popular high school graduate goes to college for you know family and everything you know beautiful family beautiful brothers and sisters education background no problem no signs of trauma nothing winds up doing well graduating getting some good jobs you know inheriting the real estate business making money modeling acting doing music all of this stuff and then goes into it and then winds up struggling with addiction later on in life and it took this got this per- person time to realize that they were allergic to this thing and then they have to watch this thing and this thing is dark and insidious so something that was always innocent to me i grew up with alcohol was just a pastime it was just family and friends that get together and they'll have drinks and they'll laugh 
It seemed innocent, but it's not, right? So my story looks just like it could be your story and someone that you know story or someone in your family story. Most of us have to deal with this reality. So I'm very re- relatable and I'm just trying to bring it to you guys and trying to ch- shift the stigma of alcoholism because sometimes people react when I say, you know, I have to sober, a sober podcast about sobriety and they go, oh, you know, that's cool. I'll let one of my friends know who's struggling with addiction. Or I have a podcast about addiction and I'm like, well, you smoke 50 blunts a day, buddy. Like, I don't know. I think you addicted to marijuana. Aren't you addicted? Like, you know, it wasn't you and like, aren't you a, like, don't you struggle again? Like you have things you struggling with too. And they go, okay, I didn't think about it that way. Or I didn't know I was an addict. I also have people that I know that that are alcoholics that don't identify as alcoholics. They think they're functional and they're cool and it doesn't apply to them, but it has negative ramifications in their life, but they don't know how to really acknowledge it. They're like in denial. They're like, oh, that's not me. But I'm like, if you're knocking down a, a fifth of brandy at night and, you know, you're not healthy and maybe you should see the alternative. So one of the reasons why we're doing this is to just shed more light on the benefits of sobriety because we just have to shift the conversation. You know, it's too much money and marketing that goes into alcohol and purchasing of alcohol from these major companies. And it's not enough media and advertising going into combat and the crisis of alcohol and drugs. And a lot of the drug crisis, I blame on alcohol because alcohol is a gateway drug. It's one of the largest gateway drugs. You know, you never heard of a heroin addict who just said, I woke up one day, never drank a day in my life and did. Well, you will. It'll be somebody who I, I was exposed to heroin or something first, but it's usually drug, alcohol. It's the first thing you get when you're a kid. I'm going to steal my parents' thing, and then it leads to something darker. So I don't know how we could just get this. You know, I'm trying to just get the subject out there and just trying to really let everyone know that we're, we're creating balance in the world by telling our stories and by highlighting the benefits. And you know what the benefits of sobriety is? Clarity. You know, I was able, because, you know, I'm long-winded, I'm able to sit here and talk to you guys in great detail about, you know, my life, and I'm able to communicate clearly, and I'm able to be there for my family and friends, and I'm able to be in good physical shape, and I'm able to financially provide, and I'm able to reconnect with God and help other people. I'm able to be present in my life. I'm able to deal with my emotions, and and my emotional health is better because I'm able to deal with the hard emotions, the happy emotions, and the good. I don't bottle things in anymore, right? I'm healthier and I'm more alive and I have hope and my life expectancy is higher. And by quitting alcohol, I was able to stop smoking. And now when I don't smoke, I'm able to eat better. And, you know, it made me more aware of my health and my heart health. And I was able to reverse some of the symptoms that are from my heart. You know, I, like my dad died of a heart attack, so I was able to get healthier so I don't die of a heart attack. And I was able to make certain changes to my mindset that's permanent. And I'm able to do a lot. So the benefits of sobriety is insurmountable. I can't count it. 
right? So a sober lifestyle is cool. And again, if you don't have no, if you're fine and this is not your subject matter, then kudos to you. Share this with somebody, someone in your family or somebody that you know that's struggling. Tell them, listen to the Sober's Dope podcast. Now, a few things as far as housekeeping. I want to shout out one of my big brothers, Big Eric, my man, Eric. Uh, we call him Eric at, for like Eric Short of Sinbad. You know who you are. He like our big brothers. You know what I'm saying? Um, shout out to Eric. My man Eric has been making. He's been very. Um, Eric has been very supportive to me. And Eric in his struggles. We struggled together. And Eric came a long way. And I just wanted to thank him for taking the steps that he's taken towards bettering himself and Eric you're out there you inspire me just wanted to shout you out I also wanted to shout out one of the future guests that's gonna be a fixture on the show now ladies and gentlemen this is what I have for us in the Sobers though community um, community I have a real solid priest not a pastor not none of that a priest you know what I'm saying? Now, shout out to you pastors, but I'm talking about somebody with the two or three master degrees, 20, over 25 years of actual service and counseling, and they're going to come on the podcast and, and, and counsel and talk and share and give us wisdom and blessings. And that segment is going to be, and that guest is going to be called the Anonymous Priest. It's very exciting. We're not going to, I'm not going to give their identity away. That's the deal. I said, I don't want to put pressure on you and I don't want to put pressure on my sober community because a lot of people in the sober dope universe are anonymous. A lot of the people in the sober is dope back office are anonymous and my priest is anonymous but he i'm telling you ladies and gentlemen this guy's a world-class scholar and he's gonna be able to come on and blow your mind so i'm excited so we have a lot to look forward to all right the other thing i want to do is before i go i'm gonna i'm going to play a very um, beautiful um, message about transformation from Dr. John Breeding, PhD. Um, he's a psychologist, counselor, educator, and activist. And Dr. John Breeding um, provides services and resources for individuals, couples, families, and groups on personal growth, human transformation, parenting, working with young people, and a liberation from psychiatric oppression. All right. He's located in Austin, Texas. Dr. John Breeding has a practice. You can reach him at 512-326-8326. That's 512-326-8326. His email is john at wildestcoats.com. That's W-I-L-D-E-S-T-C-O-L-T-S.com. And look, this guy has the, a powerful message. All right. It's a four-point message that covers everything from what I was talking about as far as allowing, acceptance, 
releasing your emotions and your scars and the things that you fear, not suppressing them, right? He talks about the first law of transformation being a law of acceptance, and we talk about that. Um, and he has so many good points. I don't want to sit here since I was very long-winded on the first half. I don't want to break down his points. I want you to listen to it. But I will say this. Dr. John is giving you in these four points, ladies and gentlemen, if you're patient, please be patient and listen to this. If you're in a sober dope community, I'm not long winded because I'm getting paid to do it. I'm long winded because I love you guys and I want to add value to your life. So I'm dropping some jewels on you. Right. Um, this segment helped me immensely because What Dr. John is telling us as a psychologist, a psychiatrist, he's saying that if we stop suppressing our bad emotions and our fears and our anxiety and the things that hurt us, if we stop holding them in and we start to release it by sharing it with someone else, just like I'm doing in this podcast, by talking to someone, also... We share it by admitting it and then we also learn to accept it. We have to, by sharing it and not suppressing it, we're able to release it, let it go. And by accepting these things, no matter what it could be, it could be someone insulting you. The other day I was insulted by someone that I love. It bothered me, but I had to accept it. I couldn't heal until I accepted it. And what he's saying is by releasing these negative emotions, whether it's through tears or crying, that's not a clinical pathology. It's not, that's not you being crazy or bipolar. These things that is not, it's just sometimes we have to let a lot of things go. And then we have a withdrawal period. Sometimes you might have trauma. How many times you hear this? Someone you know closely, someone dies and then you have to bury the person you love. They could be close to you. Then you have to make it to work with by the, by, the, by the end of the week, you know, or you might lose your job. You know, parents have a baby. They get maternity leave. They got to go right back. It's not enough time in society for us to withdraw and heal. And what this doctor is talking about, which is very groundbreaking, he's talking about, you know, concepts like the hero journey and... Um, actually healing from within and doing the work and not getting classified as stigma by, you know, depression and stuff like that. I think people get mislabeled and miscategorized sometimes. Sometimes you're not uh, clinically depressed. Sometimes you're just going through a really tough emotion and you have to go through it. You can't just hold it in. You have to cry, you have to kick and scream. And I think how this relates to addicts, which he makes a very good point, right? Suppression and addiction, addiction is a form of suppression. I'm sad, I'm hurt, so I'ma drink, I'ma hold it in, I'ma numb it, and I'ma hold all of this in, I'ma listen to sad music, I'ma kick and scream, and I'ma be angry, and I'ma fight, and I'ma scream, but you're not dealing with the actual emotion, you're suppressing it, and then it, it, it resurfaces as some form of anger, and crazy, and delirium, and it leads to more addiction, and more darkness, and we don't deal with it all, sometimes we have to deal with loss head on, so anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to cut to this clip 
And then I'm going to catch you guys on the other side. I hope you learned a lot from me today. I hope you learned a lot about me, right? I'm just, I'm normal just like you guys, man. That's it. I'm telling you guys my story. I don't care no more. Life is short. A hundred years from now, I'm going to look back. Maybe someone will listen to this and say, yo, this guy dropped this podcast back in the... Um, 2019 and he, he he put it all out there and it helped me you know if I help one person which I already did I helped a couple of people I helped many people so far but my goal when I started this was if I help one person by telling my story I did something great on this planet it's not about being a monu- a hero and changing the world and moving in slow motion and being glorified and put on TV and making millions of dollars it's all about if you was born and you helped one other person, then you wasn't born for a reason. God made you for a reason to help other people. So help the person next to you. If someone's hurting, love them. Tell them you love some. Tell them you love them. If you wrong, take accountability. If you're drinking and drugging out there and you creating drama in your life, stop it. Grow up, knock it off, and do the hard work. Stop running from. Stop running from the problems. Stop being afraid. Too many of us is afraid. I'm afraid sometimes. This this whole process I'm going through is scary, but I have to go through it. I'm walking through my blessing, right? Like 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 you know like um like Bishop Lamar, one of the bishops that I really um, revere. He always say I don't look like what I've been through, right? You have to walk in your blessing. All right. And I'm asking you guys in the sober though community and anyone that's listening to this, no more fear. We're going into 2020 now. We're already at the halfway mark in 2019. The planet is going through a shift. There's a consciousness shift. There's a spiritual shift. There's a mental shift. There's a shift in divides within the country. There's a planet. There's tension. There's a lot going on. We need people to be alert. We need people to be more loving. And we need people to be more helpful. And we must help each other. We're one race, the human race. All right? I don't identify. I'm Look, I'm an African-American. I'm an African who was brought to America. My family been through a lot. My great-grandfather's an Irishman, right? So, and I know these are my family, my people. I'm dark as midnight, but you wouldn't look at me and see that I have a, my, my great-grandfather's 100% Irish. My great-grandmothers and them weren't slaves. Like, my, all my people was free, but I understand my history. I understand these things, but I'm saying to you guys... I can't be racist if my grandparents is Irish, right? Then I have family members who's African. I got family members who's Native American, right? So I'm beyond that. We're one race, the spirit race. All right? I'm part of a spirit race. It's all about spirituality and love, and I love you guys. So look, I'm, I don't know why I feel long-winded today. I just feel like if you love me, you're going to understand that something is asking me to speak to you guys right now. I don't even want to end this podcast. I got to put it down. I feel like I talk for another 20 hours, man. I'm mean, so much I want to teach you guys and share with you guys is not enough time. And um, so reach out to me online at monkhealing at gmail.com. You could go on at monkhealing um, on Instagram. You could message me there. You could find me at Pop Buchanan on Instagram. You go to popbuchanan.net to listen to the 
you know, I have my story there, some of my music. Um, you can find the podcast there. You can go to SoberIsDope.net and get some of the Sober's Dope um, hoodies. Uh, that's my favorite product, the hoodies, stickers. We have all type of messages so you can spread the Sober is Dope. Also, we're asking people to send in your sober submissions. Send in your sober story to monkhealing at gmail.com because we're putting together the Sober is Dope journey and the Sober is Dope project, and I want people to start sending in their sober stories. They don't have to be long. You can send it in in pieces. Just send it. Don't be afraid, guys, all right? Look, I'm just like you. I'm just Pop from the block, man. That's it. That's what the podcast should be called. Yo, notes from Pop from the block. I'm just Pop from the block. I'm your regular B-boy. I'm a hip-hop artist that's sharing his testimony with you. And um, as you know, I'm more than that, but... I just want to be very down to earth and playing with you guys, man. Nothing fancy, no bells and whistles, no fear, no fronting. So listen to Dr. John B. Um, he's awesome. His message is awesome. I'm going to put his message in another podcast, too, because I want us to learn this. Take notes. This, 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 this guy, this Ph.D. guy is the man and he's dropping it for us. All right. I love you guys. Please. Thank you for your patience. And no matter what, remember, sober is dope. New videos every day. OK, I'm John Breeding. It's uh, Tuesday, September 16th. Beautiful day in Austin, Texas, with cool front coming through. That feels real good. And with that, I'm going to give you some good news, uh, kind of balance some of the rants on various uh, severe problems that we have in the world today. And this is these these little ideas that are guidelines for me in working with people are reason for optimism, at least with working with people at an individual level. Reason for optimism in terms of dealing with people in severe states of mind, extreme states of mind, or whatever level of distress. These are kind of guiding principles that are helpful. And I've got four of them here, okay? And here's number one. I believe that human beings have an inborn urge towards wholeness and healing. It's like at every level, at a physical level, it's called you imbibe a poison and you purge, you know, by vomiting or diarrhea or whatever. Your body wants to get rid of it. The same thing is true in an analogous way with any kind of toxin. You know, an insult, a, deg- a degradation, a trauma emotionally. You know, that's recorded. It has an effect. But there's a natural urge to release that and heal from that. There's a natural urge to become more whole, more aware, more complete, more conscious. And so in that sense, there's always stuff coming up because there's always a greater possibility of awareness and expanded consciousness. The, the, The challenge is just to trust that and to relax with it and not see everything that's coming up as an evidence of a symptom and a pathology and go to suppress it, which is what drugs do, and <laughs> that kind of frantic reassurance do, and stuff like that. It's like relax, trust, you know, and allow that process to unfold because it's ready to happen. Okay, that's number one. 
Number two, and these all relate to each other, you know, and this is what I was taught as the first law of transformation or the first law of spirit. And it's called acceptance. The law of acceptance, it's real simple. But it's fundamental to understand because we just tend to fight against it and it feels counterintuitive to accept the things that we don't like about ourselves, for example. Because the law is that in order for something to fully change or transform at a deep level, you have to first accept it for what it is. Like if you have a tendency towards greediness, you know, and you say, it's bad, it shouldn't be greedy, you're selfish, you know, you're a bad person. And so you reject that and you try to be totally generous and giving all the time, you know, right? It doesn't work, ultimately, you know. You have to accept and somehow learn to love yourself in that place and then you can unfold towards being a more generous person. Or if there's a, a deep, dark secret that you're ashamed of and you just can't look at it and whatever, you know, you have to find a way to love and accept yourself even in that place. It's easy to love and accept ourselves in the places that we love and accept ourselves or that we're proud of, right? But to love and accept yourself in a place that's hurt or embarrassed or whatever. That's why ultimately, in some way, you know, shame is the feeling that it's unbearable to be exposed and so you just want to hide it. The paradox or the counterintuitive idea is that you have to expose that. In order to heal, you have to tell that secret. Be smart about who you tell it to. Find people who are, will love and accept and be supportive of you in your healing process. But it's the sharing of that secret. It's exposing of it and being accepted in that place. And sometimes it helps to get a little outer acceptance first. It makes it a little easier to love and accept ourselves. But ultimately, it comes with that. So again, you know, it's accepting whatever comes forward. Because then it evolves and changes. That's just the way it works. Corollary to that is a saying, what you resist persists. The first law of transformation is acceptance. <clears throat> okay. This third thing is a different direction, okay, but it's related. And it's from the realm of mythology. Joseph Campbell, a famous mythologist guy, put a book together 60 some odd years ago, maybe, called The Hero's Journey. But it's basically uh, sort of a, a, a description of this, what he called monomyth. It's this myth called The Hero's Journey that exists in all these different cultures and he just sort of put them together and said this is a common motif called the hero's journey and it happens at an individual level and it happens at a huge level but that individual experience has its connection to the collective consciousness and to the universal human experience and it's basically a process of withdrawal initiation and return real simple way of thinking about it you know the whole idea and this is why my book the necessity of madness really points to is that you have to go through these periods of madness you know uh, where you are withdrawn from the world or from the normal means of production in the world you know in order to work on yourself in order to go through a transformational process in order to go through a deep change in order to you know, you go through upheaval and it seems like chaos and it seems anxious, scaring or, or kind of frustrating or, or tense or 
frightening or whatever, right? You know, but you withdraw. You withdraw from the world. Depression is an urge towards withdrawal from the world. What do we do in our society? Oh, you can't be depressed. Take your Prozac and get back to work tomorrow. Your mother dies, you can have the weekend to grieve and get back to graduate school on Monday. There's no space a lot of times for withdrawal. And sometimes there needs to be a deep withdrawal. And that gets interpreted as mental illness. Instead, it could be a transformational process if it's allowed. Because during that withdrawal, the mythological teaching is that you go through an initiation. You're initiated into experiences that you're unfamiliar with, into ways of seeing that you couldn't see before, into ways of feeling that you couldn't see before, into possibilities. Initiation is an ordeal, you know? It hurts sometimes, it's scary sometimes, it's dangerous sometimes, it's threatening sometimes. You go through emotional upheaval, you go through mental upheaval, you go through uncertainty about what's up with what. And sometimes you're not able to function fully while you go through that. So it's like giving space. That's what genuine asylum is. It's a safe, sacred space that allows this process to happen. Because the teaching is that at the other end of it, if you're fortunate, there's no guarantees, you come out with a new space and a new place and with gifts that you've received through this initiation that you return to the world and to the community. That there's a real value to the community ultimately for allowing people to go through this transformational process because they return with gifts and awarenesses and insights and possibilities and renewed energies and everything else. So a lot of people say, you know, that depression, as bad as it was, it was really a gift because, you know, I really realized that this work I was doing as an Exxon middle manager didn't cut it. And now I'm on my path to being a rock star. Or whatever. The last one is just real practical and some of you who've listened to me before know that I kind of like the basic theory of reevaluation counseling just because it's real simple and it holds a lot of power. There's a positive view of human nature that we're inherently intelligent. We can figure things out, you know. We're inherently energetic and zestful for life. <laughs> we're inherently connected. We want to be connected. We want to be relational in a good way. But what happens is when we get hurt physically or emotionally, it causes distress, pain, distress distortion. And when that happens, our true nature is obscured. We don't think as well. We don't relate as well. Instead of intelligent, thoughtful, and loving, we kind of maybe get uh, a little stupid and mean-spirited and unkind or withdrawn, right? But the good news is just like there's an inherent inborn urge towards wholeness and completion, there's also an inherent inborn mechanism for recovery or reemergence from distress. And it's real simple. It's just called emotional expression, emotional release, or RC calls it discharge. When you're hurt, when a child hurts their knee, they crawl in mama's lap about their alley and they have a cry and then they hop up and feel better. When you have a frightened experience, you shake and tremble, <laughs> and you get that fear out of your system. 
and then you're able to see and think. When you lose something or someone you love, you know, you cry and go through grief and you cry, right? When you're insulted or frustrated, you storm in tantrum and anger, righteous indignation, right? There's something about allowing that expression that tends to restore true nature and lead to a reevaluation of the situation in a way that's more expanded and more thoughtful. It's real simple. All it translates into is relax and allow expression and don't translate a lot, a lot of tears as clinical depression. Don't translate a lot, a lot of anger as a whatever disorder, you know? Don't translate a lot of fear as a panic disorder, you know, and a clinical problem and a mental illness, you know? It's not a pathology. It may be a challenging situation. There may be need to some resource and support brought to bear to kind of create a safe space for people if they're going through an intense process that takes a while. But you can trust that dynamic if you come from these principles of the idea of an inborn urge toward wholeness, you know? The idea of accepting and allowing, you know? The idea of allowing a space for withdrawal, you know? Because that's the beginning of a hero's journey. And the idea of just allowing a, a free expression, keeping it safe, nobody gets hurt, but allowing that expression, because that's the beginning of a reemergence and a restoration of true nature, which is really pretty wonderful in human beings. So hopefully those are some good thoughts. <laughs>